Shut up and sit down. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to say is... Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I did not have sexual relations with that woman i'm speaking with myself number one because i have a very good brain and i've said a lot of things i'm really enjoying the new intro by the way it's it's pretty it's fun it's pretty hilarious yeah yeah uh welcome back guys parcel politics um for reference it is 11 p.m on a tuesday uh, that we're taping this in so, Chicago. In Chicago, <laughs> and, so. and Phil, what time is it where you are? It's seven a.m. in Helsinki, Finland. <laughs> so, so tell the listeners why you're in Finland. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it's a day trip. No, I, I'm uh, I, I'm here for a conference, and so uh, uh, yeah, I flew in day before yesterday, so I, I got to go see the city some yesterday, and now I'm half awake because I couldn't fall asleep last night because of jet lag and now I'm up at 7 a.m. It's awesome. fun times. It should be noted that I got a text from Phil at 1.15 saying I can't sleep this is going to be terrible. <laughs> we had intentionally we intentionally delayed doing this because I you know we're trying to find a time that would work for both of us and uh, yeah we should have just done it at our normal time which would have been like two in the morning right. Helsinki time because <laughs> I was fine I was awake the, the quality anyway. may not, not be good today Nick because you and I are tired Phil hasn't slept you yeah, know or, or it could be fantastic right <laughs> either, either way whatever <laughs> I'm just gonna fall asleep into my microphone oh um, solar eclipse man solar eclipse <laughs> yeah he's um that's I, the that that's the problem. That's what got, got me up all night. Last night. I was I thought it was jet lag. It was the eclipse. <laughs> well, I mean, it it showed us that he is the bravest president who ever lived, ever ever. You're speaking of Donald Trump, right? Of course. Who who, who else didn't would feel I the be speaking of? Didn't feel the need to put on his solar eclipse glasses and no. looked, according to one account, six times at the sun. Hey. He's got that federal health care. He's fine. And he squinted. And he Phil, you squinted. said squinting made it okay, right? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> apparently, all his, apparently I, the, I, I didn't see the clip, but reading articles, apparently AIDS were like all around him yelling him, don't look at this. Don't, look, don't look at yes. it. What are you talking about? It's <laughs> fine. The internet was great about this because there were a number of memes like, uh, Obama said you should wear glasses. I'm not wearing glasses. <laughs> uh, Although I, we were we were saying just before we went on the air, he was not the only one. That there were I, I saw there were there was a massive increase in the number number of Google searches for my eyes hurt immediately <laughs> after the, the eclipse. <laughs> oh, what's wrong with people? Although you know what, I I I hesitate to even say it. I didn't have glasses either. I go, well, I can look for. I don't know, half a second every so often. It's yeah, fine. Just get, just just get, get a get sense those, of it, Nick. Just yeah. get those trails for like 20 minutes. It's fine. See those little <laughs> crescents right in the middle of my eye. Right. Yeah. You could be president, Nick. Yeah. yeah. That's clearly, if it makes you the bravest, <laughs> I don't know what else you need at that point. <clears throat> All right. I've, yeah, not, um, not quite as eventful as last week, but still still pretty interesting so, i'd say yeah so some interesting thing to hit, things to hit on this week i think we're going to obviously talk about bannon leaving the administration and uh, we'll hit on afghanistan and then for all the listeners we've got some uh, speed round topics for the second half of the show so it uh, should be a good one nick awesome <laughs> 
Well, should we start with uh, Steve Bannon, uh, Trump's uh, chief advisor for a while, uh, his or strategist? Uh, uh, they decided uh, to have a mutual breakup. And it was nobody's fault, Phil. They just decided to go separate ways. Uh, and according to Sarah Huckabee... you, it's them. That's right. According to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, quote, the White House Chief of Staff John Kelly and Steve Bannon have mutually agreed today would be Steve's last day. We are grateful for his service and wish him the best. At which, part he, at which point he departed for Breitbart and is now burning everything down. <laughs> so. But not towards the administration well uh, yeah the question is will you know will he go after trump or he may go i mean i think mcmaster he's there are some some people he would like to to go after a little bit right i mean yes yeah yeah absolutely anything that's getting in the way of trump's original agenda yeah i would say yeah i don't i don't see him go i don't know phil what do you think is he going to go after trump or what what would you what do you expect out of bannon uh yeah, I mean, I think if if he if he deems it necessary, yeah. I mean, I so it, it, this frees him, mm -hmm. and and in this sense, maybe it's beneficial to both of them. It, I mean, it frees him to to attack anybody and everybody he wants to. So when you're the chief advisor to the president, you can't. I mean, you can <laughs> you can apparently, according to this president. But in theory, you know, you can't be out uh, attacking leaders of Congress and other members of the cabinet and. Bannon's free to do all of that. I, I think in some ways Bannon has more power as sort of a, uh, you know, an idea influencer or whatever at Breitbart than he has as the chief advisor to the president. Especially given um, that he's been isolated of late, right? I mean, when, early in the administration yeah. when he had Trump's ear, then it was, you know, he had some influence and some power. But it sounds like that Kelly had kind of cut him off. So at this point, I think you're right. When he's when he's at Breitbart, and I'm sure he will be able to call Trump up and, and you know, spread the joy that way as well. But I, I also don't think that if if Trump goes in a direction that Bannon's not happy about, Bannon won't be afraid to attack him. Right. Like, I mean, they're, I don't they're not they're not like lifelong buddies or, you know, I mean, this was a, a sort of a marriage of convenience that came about during Trump's campaign. And yeah, I mean, Bannon has. Like, I think Bannon sees Trump as useful to him. So there's not a loyalty to Trump. There's a loyalty to the ideas that he thinks Trump uh, helps, you know, foster or bring about. And if Trump goes in a direction that Bannon doesn't like, I don't I don't think that he's going to hesitate at all to you know, unleash the dogs on him. Absolutely. And, and uh, in some ways, right, I mean, the fact that now Bannon's on the outside means he's not he doesn't have that potential power. And that's what threatened Trump. Right. The the idea that this was President Bannon and not, you know, not President Trump. Although Bannon didn't say uh, when he left the day he left the office, he said, quote, the Trump presidency that we fought for and won is over. <laughs> he's such a <laughs> such a sourpuss, Nick. <laughs> You never see the man smile. Why wouldn't he be? No, no. And realistically, if you had gotten, I don't care who you are, if you're the most evil piece of shit on the planet and you're taking that much flack from people, you're going to be a little upset, I think. You know, I, Nobody can take that much. No. You know, <laughs> I, you know, have you guys ever seen a picture where Bannon looks good? No. I mean, it, it, there's no angle where he's caught where he looks, you know, it, it always no, he's, he's always got the, the, the bloat. Yeah. He's clearly been drinking constantly <laughs> for the past six months. <clears throat> yeah, he's not a pleasant-looking individual. 
there is some irony to the fact that Bannon left this week, given what happened previously in Charlottesville, and the fact that Trump, you know, that week seemed to ally himself well with the Bannon camp, and that was the same time that Bannon left, right? And and so in some ways it was surprising. You would think that given how more isolated Trump might be, that he would want to keep that group around, but didn't feel the need to do so, or, or at least uh, Kelly didn't so, feel the need to do so. Mm-hmm. So some of the um, some of the reporting I've seen indicated that uh, that that it wasn't a coincidence um, that in fact the reason Bannon wasn't gone sooner was because of Charlottesville and that uh, the reporting I saw indicated that uh, Trump and Bannon had sort of reached an agreement to you know whatever that means either yeah. quit or fired uh, like a week ago and then the Charlottesville stuff happened and the idea or the thought was that Bannon was the most capable of sort of helping Trump navigate that. And so uh, they basically kept him on for another week. So so it, it does look weird in that he gets fired at the end of the Charlottesville stuff. But maybe he was supposed to be gone before that. And Charlottesville kind of kept him on a little longer because he's the go to neo-Nazi guy in the or he was. <laughs> Gorka is that guy now. I guess. Right. Gorka or uh, uh, Miller, Stephen Miller, Miller as well. Yeah. Although, you know, interestingly, I, I, I do think there's a distinction between Bannon's sense of, of white nationalism and some of the, the neo-Nazi stuff that we saw. In a, and he's even in that interview that he didn't think was an interview. He was going after those guys saying that I think he thinks that's a, a you know, kind of an old school uh, white nationalism that he's not a party to. So that'll be interesting to see how Breitbart positions themselves in relation to the, the neo-Nazi movement. I, I mean, I get the impression that, that Steve Bannon and the Breitbart uh, view is more a sort of an opposition to trade. Yeah. Like it was, it's mm-hmm. a, an America first kind of, as opposed to white people first. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I, they just make, they make easy partners, but they're not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. And I would even say that, you know, Bannon, I think it's more of her, my sense of it. And again, we don't know. We'd have to get inside little Steve's head. But uh, it, it's more of a religious thing for him, right? His concern is Muslims, right? And this, this yeah. uh, coming clash of civilizations between uh, the West and Islam. And I don't know for him if there's a racial element, at least in what he says and the way he, he addresses that issue. It seems more to be a religious dynamic than necessarily a racial dynamic. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm. It'll be interesting interesting to see what kind of um, media uh, strategy he uses going forward. I'm sure they've looked at the success of people like Alex Jones in that kind of vein and whether they're going to try and you know buy out an actual TV channel, which I don't even think they have the capital to do, or they're going to do you know like a podcast video streaming thing. Um, but I, I think in the current climate, especially with the media being in the state that it is, they have a really strong chance of becoming a major player for alt-right. We'll go with alt-right. I'm just going to say alt-right views. I'll, I'll leave the neo-Nazi stuff out. Well, no, I think that's right. I think yeah. uh, I don't know if I don't think they would necessarily want to say it. Right. Well, and Bannon has suggested that he wants to go after Fox News. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he yeah. sees that as yeah. the outlet, right? He, he sees Fox News as the channel that old white guys watch, mm-hmm. uh, whereas this young, youthful you know, alt-writer should My dad be... watches that show. Well, he's not old. <laughs> 
So okay. <laughs> I don't Did you qu- say my dad watches that show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a that is a universally true statement for everyone. <laughs> so does this does Bannon's ouster and uh, I think it's clear that Sebastian Gorka who uh, is a foreign policy advisor but apparently does nothing within the administration who was also a Bannonite is soon to be gone leaving potentially only Stephen Miller of that group, right? If we talk mm-hmm. about at the beginning of the Trump administration, there were these two camps. There was the Bannon camp and kind of this old school realist camp, uh, the Mattis, the Tillersons, the McMasters. They've won, right? Yeah. Uh, at least temporarily, they have control of this administration. Kelly has pushed that more extremist agenda out. And other than the president itself, like the administration has moved in a more traditional, moderate direction. Phil, you're laughing. <laughs> just, I just like the idea that you say they have control over the administration. <laughs> no one has control of this administration. So, I mean, you're, you're right. Like on paper, I think if we were uh, if we went back to the beginning of this administration and, and we could see forward to you know, a headline today or a description today. Um, and, uh, the cast of characters that are out has, is out. And the ones who are in are in, we would have said at the beginning of this administration, well, this is, this is good. Like the sane people have won. Um, the, the, maybe the Trump presidency is normalizing, but like, I mean, if anything that we've learned over the last eight months or whatever, is that there's no control trolling Trump, right? Like, I mean, it's good that Bannon's gone, but I don't I don't get the impression that it's going to make much of a difference. Right. Not not for the way Trump. It wasn't that that Trump is like this good, moderate, sane person and Bannon was making him a crazy person who defends neo-Nazis and, you know, hates the press. Right. That That's pure Trump. Yeah. So <laughs> the people around him are shifting in positive ways. But I'm not sure. I mean, do you think it's actually making a difference? Like, is anything getting better? From a rhetoric standpoint, no, clearly not. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think, considering what's happened in the past few weeks, it's hard to determine if there are real substantive, substantive shifts going on behind the scenes in the administration that are creating better policy that we're either going to see in the future or is just going to kind of happen behind the craziness of, of the face of the administration. But I, I don't, I, I don't know. They. It's got to be better than what it was or what it is currently. No, and what they started with. Is it, stop smirking. Like, <laughs> stop no, no, no. <laughs> I just, I just, I chuckle thinking about how many times we've said that. <laughs> got to be better than what it was. <laughs> could be worse. Could and be we raining. continue down the path. Well, we'll talk about Afghanistan in a few minutes. But I mean, I think that's if we think about Trump's speech last night, that was pure McMaster and Tillerson and Mattis, and and Trump was somewhat, or at least appeared to be somewhat reluctant to give that speech but he did he looked bored he did right and if we think about north korea the official administration position in north korea is very reasonable is very kind of old school you know realist foreign policy uh and then when trump talks about you know uh, locked and loaded that gets us misdirected but i don't know i mean it there isn't a consistent voice or policy agenda coming out of this administration Mm -hmm. no i I mean i guess i so i i think that a few months ago, I would have said that I feel better or I'd sleep better at night knowing that, like, the Trump is surrounded by, you know, sane, rational people. I, I don't think that I, I'm I don't it doesn't make me sleep better knowing that that he has more level headed people around him because the ultimate problem is him. Right. So they can give him a sane speech on, 
you know, on Afghanistan or whatever else. And Trump can do it. But the next day, some something piques his interest or he gets pissed at something. And it's all it all unravels anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, the, the speech, on, I mean, I don't want to get too far into Afghanistan, but the speech on Afghanistan it was sane. But yeah. I don't I don't have any reason to believe that Trump's actually going to stand by it right like it's something he said and if he changes his mind tomorrow or two weeks from now then like i don't know there, there's no <laughs> there's no like faith in the words that he says you know or tweets out right the reality but there's a difference right. between what he tweets out and what he says and then like the, the days afterwards but no absolutely yeah. i think yeah, i i i don't sleep well at night for the same reasons yeah what's well, a i mean <laughs> listening to the substance of it it was a some of it was kind of ballsy. I, I mean, he's, he's, yeah, yeah, he's putting, it's more of a hard line with Pakistan. He's literally inviting India into the conflict, which is interesting. Um, that in, in and of itself is, I, I mean, in my opinion, it's a game changer for the conflict in general. But it's, you I don't know, know if any, I nothing. No, I, I, I will say, especially, you know, the, 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 <laughs> What he emphasized last night was, one, there's going to be no timetables, right? So that was the distinction from the Obama administration. We're not going to say we're leaving at a certain time. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that he emphasized was Pakistan, right? We're right. going to crack down on Pakistan that they've, you know, that they've been getting a, a pass for a while. And arguably the most novel part was at least the mention of India, to mm -hmm. say that India is relevant to understanding Afghanistan and the whole regional security situation. Sure. Uh, and I think that made for good press, right, to say that, you know, this is where we're going to press it. The reality, though, is... I. The Obama administration was pushing Pakistan for a number of years, maybe not in the same rhetorical way that Trump did last night. And we've tried to get India involved. I listened to that speech last night, and it sounded very much like the Obama policy. And it also sounded very much like the second half or the second term of George W. Bush, right? It was, mm -hmm. uh, it was rinse, you know, and repeat, that kind of same thing over and over again. They were – so I, I – I'm not so sure there was an effort to make it sound distinct. I'm, right. Yeah. I, I don't know if substantively if it will be. It's, it's a good oh, question. Oh, I don't care about substance. <laughs> I thought it was interesting sounding. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. And, and targeting Pakistan, emphasizing India, uh, timetables, that, that yeah. did make that distinction. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's, yeah, we joke about it. But yes, they are very similar to policies that realistically did not work for the last two administrations. But the fact that it's being put out there in a public forum at least gives the perception that something is going to change i don't think it will but i would go i would say it's not just the last two administrations right i mean this afghanistan we could talk, go back you know 30 years we could go back 100 we go back to the the british right i mean this is something that this is an ongoing thing where everybody is struggling in afghanistan what do you think needs to be done there oh feels good with that <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough about the, I mean, the, I, I pass. <laughs> I was going to start going in a different direction, but I realized if I should let Bill answer. Here's, here's, answer. here's my sense of it. I think that this Trump was, so what was it? Uh, a week ago, we were talking about Charlottesville and we were talking about the fact that Trump had to come out and give this speech where he condemned neo-Nazis and kind of looked like he was a hostage taker. I think the speech last night was almost as bad in terms of hostage taking. Like Trump didn't want to give this speech. This is not what he believes, but everybody around him, the entire military establishment, he surrounded himself with generals, mm -hmm. and the generals really believe that what you need to do in Afghanistan is prevent a disaster. Mm -hmm. And how you do that is you increase the troop load, right? You, know, you added, what, another three or 4,000 troops. You try to prevent the worst, 
but you accept that you're probably not going to win, right? And so Trump threw the word victory around three or four times last night, and that's absurd. There's no way you win in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. right? You prevent the Taliban from taking over completely. You, you do some damage to ISIS, but there's no way we're talking about a year from now saying like, hey, Afghanistan's fixed. Mm-hmm. And Trump himself even said that. We're not talking about nation building anymore. It's just right. killing terrorists. That's, that's where we left that's ourselves. That's what we're best at. <laughs> right. So I, I didn't get a chance to read the, the speech, um, but the, the stuff that I read about it was that it was fairly vague. Hmm. Um, but I mean, how is what you just described not essentially mini Vietnam, right? Like, I mean, here we are six, we're, I mean, we're here long, like we're 16 16 years years in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And basically what you just said is we, and, and Tillerson said it, I mean, Tillerson basically came out and said, uh, we may not win in Afghanistan, but the Taliban won't either. (laughs) Right. right? Like they're like just committing to a never ending quagmire, right? Like that, that, that this is the, you know. Uh, our goal is not to is not victory. Our goal is just to avoid defeat. And that seems that seems crazy. Yes, it does. Or at least you have to say that. Right. Because you could I don't know if it's crazy. You could come out and say that Afghanistan is similar to South Korea. It is similar to uh, Europe, where the United States has said we are going to keep troops permanently. This is some or Japan. Right. This is something that we are going to do for regional stability uh, and and American public just accept the fact that we're going to have five to 10,000 troops in Afghanistan indefinitely. Uh, but the examples you're talking about of, you know, if you're talking about Germany or Japan or South Korea, I mean, you're talking about tens of thousands of troops and I don't even know billions, trillions of dollars of investment. Right. And, and like, there's that's not what we're doing. Like, first of all, the American public would never sign on to that. Right, right. And two, that's not in, that's not what we're doing. Right. We're doing a, at best a I wasn't I was going to say half hearted, but like, you know, half of a half of a half of a half of a half hearted right, right. attempt at that. Right. Like we're going to send in a couple of thousand troops and ignore it. Right. Which is what we're basically doing. And, and not being honest with the American public about that. Right. right? That this is this is this has to be the reality. I, but I mean, at this point, why? Like, what? What's I, it, the whole? I understand the power vacuum. Taliban bad. Well, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Like, like, there's no. ISIS bad. There's no good argument for it at this point, besides the fact that the Taliban reasserts its power across the country. You have the Haqqani network coming over from Pakistan and the influence of Iran. Yep, something like that. But. But I think what, that's... What, what are we going to do about that? Like it's it's been that way consistently in some form of, of some form or another in varying degrees of severity for the entire length of this conflict. Why would we even attempt to deal with that at this point? Out of fear that it could get worse, and I think that's it, Nick. Right? I mean, the the only thing is fear that this could get worse. Like you said, that the Taliban could, and I think would likely take over Afghanistan. Okay. And- yep. And ISIS would have uh, a base of operation, which would be bad. Right? I mean, if you think strategically, those are bad things. Yes, I, I, uh, I agreed. And, and again, this is part, but, but this goes against what Trump wants. I mean, Bannon, so we go, to circle back to Bannon, he didn't want us to, he wanted mm-hmm. us to get out of there. Correct. And Obama wanted to get out of there as well. So we think back to 2009, the parallels are striking. Obama does not want to stick around in Afghanistan. The generals come to him and say, "You've got to do a surge. You've got to do this." He's reluctant. He, uh, you know, the troops, uh, the generals want a lot of troops, and he says, "No, you're going to have less." 
you know, it's basically the same thing. Trump does not want to, to get involved in Afghanistan, but the generals we trust say you've got to do it, and he accepts it, and he gives that speech. Um, they say no. Well, <laughs> and that, that may be the right option, but the uncertainty of that has people scared, right? Uh, I, I mean, realistically, the difference that I see between, you know, prior to September 11th and now is we have a vast, you know, clandestine terrorist hunting apparatus at our disposal now that, you know, was birthed out of this conflict pretty much. And I mean, there's no good way to win this conflict militarily. And we've gotten so good, especially during the Obama administration at extrajudicial killings and assassinations and proxy wars and black sites and drones. And we do it everywhere else except there. Why? And I don't necessarily agree with it. But I also don't agree with keeping troops there arbitrarily for no strategic reason. No, I, and I think that that's it's a it's, it's a legitimate question, especially if we're saying that the goal is not democracy. We're not trying to fix Afghanistan, and Trump was absolutely clear about that. Mm-hmm. Right? There's there's no more the neoconservative agenda of spreading democracy and rebuilding states. That is not part of the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. So we are cold calculating. Uh, going after terrorists and preventing the worst. I agree. uh, Thank you. At the same time, I I saw somebody referencing the fact that now, so Trump, who campaigned on getting out of wars and, you know, taking a more isolationist role, has now expanded America's involvement in every conflict zone that we are involved in. We have either more troops, more airstrikes, or both everywhere in every combat zone that he inherited. So, you know, like... This idea that the the neocon like you know hands and everything rebuilding the world, um, the idea that that's gone, you know, again, this is nope. That's in ways maybe the the rhetoric of it is gone. Do I did I break up? You broke yeah, up you, for you a broke second. Up. Yeah. <laughs> to finish um, the internet. It, the rhetoric of that is gone, but the reality is very much still. You know, we're we're still. <laughs> you know, in, involved all over the world with this sort of shit. And this this raises a question that a few episodes ago you raised, Phil, or more than a few episodes, about this issue of, of surrounding yourself with too many generals, right? I mean, so he has said he does not want necessarily civilians. He wants generals making these decisions. And it's not surprising when you've got generals as your chief of staff, as your national security advisor, as your defense secretary, that they're going to think a surge is the appropriate response here, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and again, I understand the strategic thinking there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you had other voices in the room, there might be Especially, I mean, Tillerson's there, but I don't know if he says anything, right? I mean, I think he's, sleepy. he's got his nap, right? Uh, so, no, this is this is a big deal. So, this may be a really narrow question, but Trump went after Pakistan. So, you were talking about that. Mm-hmm. Did that seem fair? Yes. He was he was really giving it to Pakistan. So, you, you say yes, that they, they've been given a free pass? I, I mean, realistically, and I, I mentioned it earlier, the Haqqani Network running between Pakistan and Afghanistan is one of the most ruthless terrorist organizations on the planet. And they've really been able to run roughshod over that territory and over our troops for the better part of 15 years at this point. So, uh, yeah, and I I think that uh, the ISI, the Pakistani Intelligence Service, is completely complicit in 
their doings and goings on and, and movements and, and whatnot. And the fact that we haven't hammered them harder on this is is deplorable. I, I'm sure there have been a, a significant amount of troops killed in because in a direct result of their actions because Pakistan didn't reveal intelligence that it had or didn't want to reveal intelligence that it had. I wouldn't disagree with a bit of that. Although I would Thank add <laughs> that Pakistan is a complicated situation where that certainly is going on. The, there are elements of the military that are supportive of those networks, the Pakistani Taliban. At the same time, there are, there are genuine efforts of the government to go after those elements and to crack down and have been fighting you know, along the, the border there and made serious inroads uh, to to go after the Taliban. So I, I'm divided. In, and if I'm Pakistan, I hear that speech by Trump and I say, this guy's not going to, you know, he's not giving us a break at all, right? He's going after us. He's threatening us. And he's saying that let's bring India into the, the conversation, which is, is scaring Pakistan more than anything, because one of Pakistan's biggest fears is that Afghanistan and India suddenly become allies. And then, and then Pakistan is isolated. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know strategically if that was such... You know, politically, I think it's successful. Strategically, I'm not sure if it's such a great decision. Um, Nuance is not Trump's uh, forte. Well, and I think politically, like attacking, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because they're they're an easy one to beat up. But um, I I just don't know if it really helps us in the end. Um, Well, Trump Trump said that he studied Afghanistan from every conceivable angle before making this speech. So (laughs) I I was telling someone this morning (laughs) that I. I probably should have just read the speech instead of listening to it because oh, he, he inserts that stuff in there about how, you know, he's a lot of it's like jabbing at Obama. But this stuff about how, yes, I've, I've researched it. And I know every, that's, that's just so he has a good brain. He does. He, he does. has a very good brain. Yes. One of the best. The best. Oh, oh. Um, so, so we think this will be fixed in a couple of weeks, right? Afghanistan. Obviously, yeah. yeah. I mean, North Korea already shut the fuck up. So yeah. I would assume <laughs> Afghanistan and Pakistan, it'll it'll be fine. It's, so, it's fine. It, I, I don't know how I don't know if we need to move on to the other topic, but it, it like the, my it seems to me that there are parallels between maybe they're weak parallels. But when I think about Syria under Obama, I think of U.S. policy as being this kind of unhappy in between. Right. There were, we didn't commit enough to actually change anything. We did commit enough to get ourselves involved in a crisis and to for people to be able to blame us and to you know bring you know put ourselves in the midst of this mess with Russia and and um, Syria and its neighbors and um, it kind of feels like that with Afghanistan right like it seems like it, I don't necessarily I know you you think we should just get out Nick and I I don't I mean that seems like a viable option the other option would be what you were talking about Bill which is to fully to really commit to say we're sending in a bunch of troops, we're going to stabilize the country, we're there for, you know, the whole idea of what Paul Ryan's statement about, you can't give a timetable or they'll wait you out, which is, I, it's bizarre that to think that a country would wait, you know, of right. course they're going to wait you out. They live there. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think about the like, Taliban you know, with their calendar, like, oh, two more months. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so that would be the other option is really to invest in essentially nation building, which has become this curse word but it seems like i mean isn't this in some ways i don't know it feels like maybe this is just the worst of all options right it's enough to keep our hands dirty and to but not actually to achieve anything i mean is that 
I mean, the initial push into Afghanistan was realistically that strategy, wasn't it, 16 years ago? Uh, and, and, you know, the surge after that, we invested a tremendous amount of military hardware and logistics and money and men and time and resources. Did I say resources already? I'm going to say resources yeah. again. Um, until Iraq. Until right. Iraq. Yeah. Right. And then, and then we pulled we, half of them out. And sure, because we got distracted. Saddam. Correct. But regardless, I mean, we hammered them for, I don't know, the better part of two years, mm -hmm. something like that. And realistic, we're, we're, everything that you've heard over the past, I'll say half of the conflict was about how the Taliban is reasserting itself and they've taken over large swaths of the country again. And, you know, we, the, as soon as American troops get pulled out, they go right back in and then we go in and then they're gone already and then they come back in and it's this never ending cycle of that. And I heard an interesting thing today on, um, I think it was on NPR about how over the past decade, Afghanistan was one of, if not the fastest growing economy on the planet in the past decade. And that's purely because of military involvement and mm. attempts at nation building and things like that. And as soon as troops started leaving again and the military assets started leaving, it immediately started tanking again. Like there's no, and you can attribute that to, you know, rampant corruption through uh, the federal government there, obviously terrorism and instability, sectarian violence. I, I don't, the concept of nation building is is interesting and I, I think it can work in some instances but this is not one of those instances where I think it can work there's there are too many different players on the field and and the it's it's just a a completely different kind of conflict that we are not capable of winning either I I, I don't think you can obviously you can't do it militarily because we've tried over the past 16 years and even economically it's not worthwhile because they depend on our military to make it an even uh, economic transition so it I, then leaves you with the vietnam quagmire right, right. where so it's not winnable no but you can't lose right you can't you can't lose in vietnam so you don't want to do that no, it's peace with honor well right you, you, <laughs> so the, you, the gotta, you just got to commit enough not to lose but right. as we saw in vietnam that strategy wasn't successful right. But I, I don't think what you said is necessarily true, though, Nick, that it's not that nation building can't work. It can work, but not in a way that like, I mean, all that stuff you talked about, right? Like post-war Germany, like all these different factions and it was divided and war torn. And the only thing the economy had was what we were spending there. I mean, but we committed to keeping troops there for what, you know, 75 plus years at this point and the Marshall Plan in which we dumped you know, billions and billions of dollars into the economy. And so, I mean, I think it could be done, right? If we decided we were going to just pour money into, not just into having stationing troops there to kill Taliban, but into rebuilding the Afghan economy and you make that a hundred year commitment. And I, we're just not, there's no way we're willing to do that, right? <laughs> done. It just doesn't, like there's there's it's not there's no way that that I mean I, I there's no certainty uh -oh. that it can but I don't you know know that can never happen but there's not enough political 
will do that. No, I I, I do agree with that. I, I I still think that there's a, a stark difference between post-war Germany and a, a conflict zone where you have car bombs going off every other day and, you know, people killing their their own people for for lack of a better way to put it i i think there's uh i think there is some element of a cultural difference i think there it's a completely different kind of conflict compared to world war ii and i i think that the rules compare if comparing those two conflicts those don't necessarily match up in the sense of attempting to rebuild a nation for sure. Um, for sure. So the complexity of Afghanistan is so different than anything else in terms of international conflicts that we're used to. So it is mm-hmm. it is an incredibly diverse state uh, with, like, as you noted, multiple ethnic differences and identity conflicts. And you, you bring in, again, for hundreds of years, global actors have tried to come into Afghanistan and has proven un, untenable to, to leave. Yeah. So I, I do think that the United States, Trump made the right decision, right? I think that staying in terms of the strategic threat posed by ISIS and the Taliban, I, I tend to think that while it's a it's a bad option, it's better than the alternative. Yeah. It was a responsible decision, um, and he did it reluctantly. It was. <laughs> so. it, it was a responsible decision, I think. Um, but I, I go back to what we were talking about earlier. Is there any, like, he will abandon it the second he decides to. And, and I say that, like, this is where he... I don't think there's any uh, legitimacy to when he says anything because he's done this over and over and over again. And even in the speech, it, which he gave half-heartedly, he basically made some comment about this is the general's plan and not mine, right. which is his way of being able to say if this goes well, he's going to claim the victory. And if it goes badly, he will blame his generals, right? He will not take any heat for it and will quickly throw them and the plan under the bus if he decides he should he should change. I totally agree with that. I don't know if he can. It would be successful. I think the fact that he gave that speech, uh, and you know, Mattis, he wanted Mattis just to announce the increase in troops, and Mattis said, "No, this has to come from the executive branch. Has to come from you," which was a smart move by Mattis. So, um, all right, so we went long on that. So we should talk beers. We should talk beers, and then right. we'll do a shorter. So Phil, it's what what six a.m. There, what are you what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking. Mediocre hotel, finish hotel coffee. Uh, actually, I'm finished with my cup. Ha <laughs> That was not meant to be a pun, but it is. Um, and I really wish I had another cup, but I don't. So that's it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so Nick and I, we've uh, we've had a couple beers. Um, uh, the first beer that Nick and I split was a uh, what does it say? Dare mighty, dare mighty things. Dare. dare. They're mighty things. By the Brewing Project, uh, which is, I believe, out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. A uh, very, very citrusy IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you pour it out, I mean, it almost looked orange juice-like. It uh, did. And uh, I, I'm a lover of Citra IPAs, and, and I liked it. It was very thick, cloudy, almost uh, vice beer. It didn't feel thick, beer. though. No, yeah. maybe not thick is right. We're very vicey, like lots of, you know, gunk in it. So, yes. Uh, I like that one. Me. <laughs> yes. Um, second one was, uh, a, I think that's tuna, tuna extra pale ale, um, from half acre. We've had several of their beers previously. Um, a pretty, pretty standard pale ale. Hold on. Yeah. It's, um, 
it's it's very very hoppy um but it's not uh it's not thick which which is nice it's still drinkable um i i don't know kind of kind of average for me mm-hmm. yeah nothing man so I had a Lexical IPA from Pollyanna uh, out of Lamont, uh, Illinois. We've had a bunch of theirs before. And this is an IPA. Uh, a They describe it as a West Coast-style IPA, which mm. I, I kind of get, right? It is... Uh, it's whiny and loud. <laughs> it's a little more... I would they say more... Protest it's a, a little more mellow. Uh, mm. Actually, I quite like it. Uh, so, and it has a little citrus flavor to it. Uh, very, very drinkable. Uh, and it is in the 16-ounce can, which I like. So, it's... Also good. Yeah. Good stuff. One so. good thing. All right. Mm-hmm. You know what this brings about. It's speed round time. <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners know the deal. Uh, we do five minutes on a topic. And then when the bell goes, we have to move on to the new topic. Uh, and uh, I will... Briefly introduce the topic and then start uh, start the clock. So I got to find what topic we're starting at. All right, we should probably do like four. What's that? Four topics. Like okay, four sounds topics. good. Yeah. All right, so our first uh, topic is the terror attacks which occurred in Barcelona and Finland uh, over last week. Uh, there were uh, uh, individuals uh, claiming to be ISIS related in uh, Barcelona carried out two separate attacks, killing fifteen indi- individuals. Uh, a van mowed down tourists in two different areas. Um, and there was a second attack in Finland, Phil, uh, where a man stabbed two people to death on Friday and injured a half a dozen others. So uh, maybe we should start uh, with you, Phil, if you want to uh, give us a sense of what's going on in Finland. <laughs> uh, so I was a little surprised. I haven't read that much about it. But I, being in Finland, I you would never know that anything I haven't heard people talking about it. I haven't like, it's been not really in the news in the part that I've seen life seems to largely continue on as usual here, which is uh, an interesting contrast Mm. to the United States or other countries where everything just sort of freaks out. This was, I I had read that. I mean, I, I don't know if this is actually true. I read this in a couple of places, Finland's first terror attack. Um, I don't know how you define that. I mean, they've been involved in world wars and stuff like that. So, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it seems everyone seems happy and finished here. But so. that, that, that is somewhat significant, though, because Finland has a history of being neutral, of remaining yep. out of these uh, of global events, uh, and for the most part, staying out of the war on terror. Right. So they're you know they're not London, they're not Paris, uh, and so the fact that a terror attack maybe for the first time occurs there and the yeah. society is basically like eh, uh is yeah. very very different than the united states mm. yeah and i don't know I, I don't know if they've managed to tie it I, there were some allegations that it was related to the barcelona attack but um i had seen stories that he the the guy who stabbed people here in finland was uh had sought asylum and maybe had been rejected mm. um so i don't know if how much of it was a terror attack and how much of it was just him being um you know pissed off uh and and sort of crazy but um anyway i don't know if that plays a plays a different role as well well and the the spanish issue the fact that we seem to be shifting to instead of airplanes and whatnot that the car is now a a vehicle of of mass destruction right this seems to be a much more common uh tactic uh and not surprising because it's very easy uh easy to do but uh terrifying uh <clears throat> Excuse me. You, you wonder if what the mentality is or, or the thought of 
the average European citizen is at this point, if it's just they're like we just don't hear that they're extraordinarily worried about this and fearful, or if it just has kind of it's now kind of part of what's going on, and there's there's no real good way to stop it, but so we can't really do that much about it, and someone will handle it, but life kind of goes on. I I. I don't know. Like, from a cultural perspective, when you hear about these things happening, like we've said, there's not the kind of response that we have domestically. So I don't know if they just keep it very private to themselves and and it'll come out in some other way later or if it's really just not as much of a factor as it is here. If you contrast what happened in Charlottesville and the media coverage and the American public reaction to that, now I get, like, there were Nazis involved with that. So I think when, you know, Nazis are involved, it changes the dynamic. Sure. Uh, but the fact that Finland, like, that you've been there a couple days and nobody's talking about this is a, that seems like a major story mm-hmm. or, or at least a major difference from the American context. Or, or maybe I'm just not paying attention. Right. There's also that. Yes. We we didn't do our homework on this end either. So. <laughs> it's, too, it's too late. No, there is When's there, the I bell going to go? <laughs> Finland sort of, they pride themselves on being sort of level-headed and walking this line between Russia and Germans and Russia and the, and the West and all of these other things. And this kind of practical a, a, approach to it sort of makes sense. And we freak out over everything, right? Like, so... The, in some ways, the the car running into a crowd is, um, I wasn't gonna I, I was gonna say perfect, but it's not the perfect terror attack. But it Best. it it's it's really effective, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's something that we can all be. So if if your point as a terrorist is to terrorize people, to create fear, to create the sense of insecurity that everywhere you go you could get attacked at any moment, this is. Um, pretty effective at that because there's cars everywhere and anywhere you're in a crowd you feel like a crazy person could drive into me um but i think we as americans are particularly prone to taking that sort of bait like i think yes you know it is scary and and it could happen to you but you know since i've lived in Keene for like two years there have been you know a dozen stories of a random car plowing into a building because the you know an old man got his foot stuck on the on the pedal or whatever so this sort old of stuff happens are the worst domestic terrorists <laughs> <Yes. by the laughs> that's not what i was implying but so you know it, it, it's it's effective because everyone can feel at risk from an attack like this even if the odds of of being attacked are so incredibly small mm-hmm. Excellent wrap-up, Barker. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go to topic two, which is... Oh, all right, CEOs jumping off of the Trump train. So uh, a panel of corporate leaders who were advising uh, President Trump on economic policy disbanded last Wednesday afternoon in reaction to Trump's comments uh, regarding the Charlottesville uh, issue. Uh, And just before they were about to announce this decision... Uh, Trump learned of it and tweeted out, quote, rather than putting pressure on the business people of the Manufacturing Council and Strategy and Policy Forum, I am ending both. Thank you all. I love that Trump <laughs> thanks everybody at He's the end of polite. these. Yes. Uh, all right. So the significant thing here is that uh, these CEOs, and these were some heavy hitters, were brought together to be on this council. They came together and had a conversation and said, because of the way in which Trump handled Charlottesville, uh, we are going to in mass leave uh which is a big deal when business leaders 
say that something happens that we need to disband this thing, right? And, and I think Trump, the fact that he tweeted this out and said, I'm going to end it early, he gets how important this is. Mm. Oh, I got to hit the bell. Sorry. Damn it. I always forget the bell, Nick. <laughs> oh. Bell. <laughs> Phil, what do you think on this? So I'm torn on this because I, I, I'm torn in the sense of I, is it good that they that people you know that that CEOs are basically drawing a line and saying we're not going to put our stamp on this presidency anymore? Yeah, I mean I think that's great. People need to step up and start doing that. At the same time, I'm also kind of like. Really, this was the final straw. Like, I, I mean, right. like defending Nazis is really bad. But for a year, he's been talking about how Mexicans are rapists and how we should ban Muslims from the country and has been, you know, mocking um, disabled people and has been, you know, talking about, I mean, just like what all, all of these policies. And then this is the thing where you're like, well, we can't do anymore. Like, that, that's it. We're done at this point. I realize that that has to do with public perceptions and, you know, what they're the these CEOs are responding to um, economic pressure. So I don't know. I go back and forth. I think uh, it, it's insane to me that it took them this long. But at the same time, you have to allow room for people to actually change and act. And so, you know, maybe the, you're starting to see some shifts and and it reveals the extent to which uh, economic pressure can have power in politics um you know through boycotts and 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 whatnot yeah no i i agree with the sentiment that it's based on um economic forces and public perception and not in any way uh related to their moral standing um and their personal beliefs uh i think that's childish and naive if anyone thinks that that's the case um Uh, The fact that you're going to disband a council within the highest levels of government where you could be an influential voice to that administration uh, and and think that you're going to have a better influence because you kowtowed to public opinion is ridiculous and short-sighted and childish and they should be ashamed of themselves. (laughs) No, okay, (laughs) sorry, Nick. All right, Nick. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. <laughs> Here, here's what I would say to that. I two things. One, I think many of these CEOs have probably been waiting for something that pushes yeah. them over the edge. Sure. And and maybe it was the climate change accord, and a number of them uh, expressed some concern with that. Maybe it was some uh, one of the other things that he've said said. But this was the one where like we can come down, we can get them on this. And and I don't because think it was easy. It, it was Nazis. It took Nazis right. for no, them to do it. Exactly. No, I, I agree. But that's that's what makes it easy. But I would say I don't know if it's purely economic. I think some of it is moral, right? These are CEOs who have been successful, who have probably some sense of moral compass. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, my guess is that this might have pushed them over the edge. And here's the other thing I would say. The, the second point is that I feel there's a big shift occurring, right? It's it's not just CEOs. We're seeing even within the Trump administration, there's some pushback. We're seeing, you know, just this last week, every member of, uh, of the military service, all the Joint Chiefs of Staff, released a statement condemning neo-Nazis, right? That happened, right? I think there's – Mitch McConnell is, is apparently no longer talking to Trump. Paul Ryan was going after him. I feel like there might be a shift where 
people are feeling comfortable to go after Trump. And that's mm. that could be a tidal wave of people now feeling this is now okay, even CEOs, to go after a business president. But is it okay because they believe it, or is it okay because there's a wave of sentiment against what he said? It just public opinion in general is so vehemently negative towards him because of charlottesville at this point realistically i i mean you can talk about everything prior to that but that was the line in the sand for a significant portion of the population they're seizing on charlottesville yeah yeah so i mean ultimately is it okay to step down because the president defends Nazis? It seems like the answer to that question Phil, is Phil, yes. that's the next no. topic. No, don't, don't bring that up yet, Phil. That's the next topic. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> we have 29 so, more seconds. <laughs> so you can't, I mean, but you, you can be cynical about why they didn't do it before, but ultimately it's acceptable to do that, right? Whether their motives they are have every good right or bad, to do it. Yeah. Whether their motives are good or bad, it's it may be the right thing to do. Now, um, it's not all about influence, though. You said something about, Nick, the idea that by stepping down, you're going to have more influence over him than by not. At some point, it's not about influence. It's about I can't stand to, you know, I, this is not I, I can't justify remaining uh, a supporter of the president or sure. part of this administration. Yes, I understand that point as well. Mm-hmm. Well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Next topic. Uh, so this uh, feeds off the previous topic, which Phil kind of previewed. But uh, there were a number of individuals within the Trump cabinet this week who expressed through the media frustration uh, about Trump's statements about Charlottesville, uh, specifically Gary, Co- Gary Cohen, uh, Steve Mnuchin, and Jared Kushner, who to media outlets said that they let it be known that they were disturbed and distressed by uh, Trump's comments. Now, this this led a number of conservative commentators to say that if that is the case, if you feel so disturbed and so upset about this, you should say something and you should speak out. Um, go. <laughs> so, wait, they did speak out, right? The question is, should they resign? That's true. Okay, right? yes, yes, speak out by, res- I'm sorry, by resigning, right, so that they, instead of, like... start the clock. Right, <laughs> instead of <laughs> secretly speaking out or, you know, to the press and, and expressing, so they can say, hey, you know, Jared and Ivanka didn't, you know, we tried to say Trump, you shouldn't say these things, but they should make a statement by saying, you know, Gary Cohen, I'm leaving my position. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it's been a particularly, it's been a... It's been particularly an issue this week because of a number of Trump's advisors who are Jewish and have had a lot of yes. pressure from the Jewish community to yes. basically say, how can you stand by this guy um, in, in these in these moments? I, I know that was the case with Steve Mnuchin, I guess, as well. And Cohen, so, yes. Uh, yeah. And Jerry um, Kushner, all three yeah. of those, right? Yeah. 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 Um, first of all, OK, before we get into this too much i come on jared kushner God damn it. <laughs> that's all he's done since he's been in the white house is to leak stuff about how he is disappointed in the president and then go on doing everything the same like, and he's, just... he's usually on vacation for this one apparently he, he was not usually he is, he's an aspen i don't know where he was this time but uh yeah it's terrible right yeah. uh yes so the question of whether people should resign or not, um, at some point, yes, right? At some point, yes. I, I don't know, like, for different people, that there has to be a different point for that. Um, but uh, that, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you put your stamp on this 
on the on the presidency, you essentially endorse it by remaining a part of it. So I think that up to a point you stay in the administration and try to influence it and try to bring sanity and try to change you know, his, his viewpoint. But at some point when it's clear that that's not going to change, if you don't have influence, if you're not influencing the outcome of these sorts of decisions, then yeah, you, you can't be complicit. You have to say that I'm, I'm resigning. Nick, you were shaking your head. No, I, I mean, in comparison to the last topic we talked about, if there's a group of people who are even more motivated by, um, uh, economic influences and especially political influences it's these shitheads who are at those levels of uh, those echelons of government I don't think the the specific individuals that you're talking about I don't necessarily know if they even consider resigning an option I, I think that there's some cachet in being part of regardless of what administration that you're talking about being in it for the long haul and taking that and turning around and making it into political capital for your career afterwards. So I, I, I understand the sentiment and don't necessarily disagree with it, but I also understand the mindset of, again, those shitheads at that level of government. So, <laughs> I, so yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree, but uh, you know, so I think of when I teach, I, when I teach a class and I teach a class on the ethics of war and when we talk about ethics, one of the things we talk right. about is the importance of making a distinction between how people behave and how people should behave. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we can recognize that these, the, some of the people around Trump might be, you know, assholes and terrible people, but we can still talk about how they should behave, oh, right? How people should behave in this situation. And I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm deeply cynical about them, but I also think that if you truly have an issue with the way the president is running the country and some of the, 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 uh, policies that he's implementing, then you have a duty to speak up to him. And if you can't change policy and you really have an issue with it, then you have a duty to make a public statement about it and resign. Oh, I agree. And I think it would be a very powerful statement if they did that. I don't think it will ever, 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 <laughs> ever happen. There, Thank you. I think we, it's important to make a distinction, and a number of people have done that, between individuals like Mattis, McMaster, who are in charge of you know North Korea policy, right? I, I understand they may disagree with the president, but I want them in place, right? Because I don't want another Sebastian Gorka in charge of you know foreign policy. Mm. But, but Gary Cohen is economic policy. He could, I mean, he wants to be Fed chair, but he could step down. He could say, I'm going to make that statement uh, by, by quitting, and it would have a big effect. And I think it would, history would remember him well, right? I think a lot of these guys need to think about that, that there's short-term versus long-term implications. I don't think history, oh, The bell, Nick. The Shit. bell. <laughs> Fine. All right, our final topic, and I'm excited about this one. So, uh, tonight, now Phil, you know nothing probably about this, but because uh, you're in Finland. But uh, Trump held a rally in Arizona, and he's had, I don't know, has he had nine of these since he's been elected. Yeah, man, he's gotta he's gotta keep morale up. And I will say, you know, having to having to stay up until eleven o'clock, I watched this thing almost in its entirety. It was wild. This was back in the campaign trail. Uh, he was in campaign mode. He was he was going after the media. I would say about the first. 
25, 30 minutes were literally attacking the media. Uh, he called the, the media, quote, really, really dishonest people, bad people. I really think they don't like our country. <laughs> you know, which is like, that, that's out there. Uh, he uh, he attacked. He said Fox and Friends is the most honest show and then followed that up by I am an honest person. So uh, he also talked about Sheriff Joe. We can get into that. But uh, I guess the, the question is, or the final topic is, these rallies, you know, he's in Arizona. Uh, he's attacking the media. He's, he's, you know, protecting Sheriff Joe. He's, I'm sure he's attacking uh, the senators there. You know, I don't know. Where, where are we at in all of this? Go. <laughs> Phil. <laughs> well, I mean, this is evidence of the way. When we go back to the beginning and talking about the Afghanistan speech, the press for the for the most part the reviews i read were like this was a you know it was a sober you know he was he made the right decision and like this is the perfect example right he read a speech that someone else wrote for him and everyone declared that he was getting it together and and then 24 hours later he goes unhinged because this is who trump is right this is why steve bannon why steve bannon leaving isn't going to matter why the people that he surrounds himself with aren't going to matter that much because trump is crazy right <laughs> like he's and this is how he i mean this is how i think these rallies are absolutely about the normal politician these sorts of rallies would be about maintaining and building support these rallies are purely about him right don't you think this is about him getting the sort of ego boost and the sort oh, of sure. the adoring crowds and 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 whatnot but yeah and they, they are genuinely adoring crowds i mean this he he is a rock star when he walks on stage they yep. love him and he feeds off it. Uh, he was, you know, he was, he read segments of his speech or his, I'm sorry, his multiple comments on Charlottesville. And he would, it was almost like Joseph McCarthy, where he would pull these lists out. Like Trump would, anytime Trump was pulling something out of his his pocket, I'm always like, it's gonna be good. <laughs> and, and he read selective comments about what he said about Charlottesville. Now he didn't mention his comment about the violence on many sides, right? He left that out. He just talked about how he was condemning people putting the blame entirely on the media. I mean, he is very, very good at this, but it is a very surreal experience. James Clapper, former director of... Oh, I just missed it. We got Former an director of national intelligence says he questions President, Tr President Trump's fitness for office. Yeah. It just came in. Yeah. Anyways, go on. So did Mitch McConnell, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So... So you know these these events are something to see, uh, and I don't I don't know what to, they're very entertaining, mm -hmm. but you're you're absolutely right, Phil. There is there is the reluctant Trump who says, "All right, I've got to I've got to agree to this policy in Afghanistan, and I will read the speech." But tomorrow night, give me Arizona, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> so. Turn the teleprompters off. I got this. Yeah, you get you get the feeling that this is what he lives for, right? Yep. Like yes. he would. I mean, if it were up to him, he would spend four years campaigning, right? The crowds and being able to, I mean, this is the ultimate struggle of his presidency is that what he likes to do is to talk about how other people are doing a terrible job and are dumb, right? And that was Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. But the problem is now he's president. Yes. <laughs> so it, he has to find some, some way to talk about how people are dumb and terrible. And so he can go out and talk about the media and Republicans, right? Like he's turning his ire on Republicans, and and yeah, have crowds go crazy for him. So smaller than used to be crowds, but, but still, still crowds. very supportive. Uh, at one point, so Sheriff Joe is this is a, a sheriff in Arizona who's um, 
been tough on immigration and has been been charged and convicted, right? Convicted, right. Yes, of violating a court order. Or I can't remember the exact circumstances. Uh, and Trump today said, when asked, you know, Sheriff Joe, you guys like him? I think he's going to be all right. Basically indicating that he's going to pardon Sheriff Joe. But everybody loved him. Oh, That's in Arizona the they yes. loved Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and again, the base is going to eat that up. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, tomorrow I'm just anticipating that the conversation is going to be about tr- the count, count, contrast between Afghanistan speech and the rally, right? It's just it's something to see. He was, he was hitting on the wall again, suggesting that the wall is going to be built. Even if we're going to shut down the government, we need to build this wall. Why are we still talking about the wall? Because the the campaign is where he's happy, right? That's, well, obviously. Can, yeah. can we talk about that progression, how he went from we're going to build a wall and absolutely Mexico will pay for it to we're going to build a wall and Mexico will be made to pay for it. Somehow I'm not promising anything to Mexico quit saying you're not going to build the wall to now at campaign events, he's saying – He's threatening to shut down the American government yes, if yes. they don't fund the wall that he right. promised that Mexico would pay for. Yes. And the crowds are still eating it up. Yeah. It's no. insane. There was there was somebody behind Trump, an African-American man, who had a T-shirt on that said, Trump and Republicans are not racist. And that cleared it up for me. Um, <laughs> Glad we're on the same page. My favorite part was that there was a website <laughs> on his T-shirt, Gods2.com. So I went to the website, and it said, I can't, it basically said, we, sh- we should all come together, click on this link. And then below that, it said, if this link doesn't work, click on this link. And below that, if that link doesn't work, click on this link. That's the kind of linkage you need, right? Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's obviously the, 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 uh, the liberals and progressives that are shutting down those links you have to have yes. you have to have a backup plan multiple, links. multiple backup yeah. plans your um, email address has now been sold to people all, all yeah. over the world by clicking on those three links that's probably your true. computer is controlled by russian hackers as of now. Um, um that's probably unless you want to talk about the the um the, the photo very briefly maybe quickly yeah so okay. nick you want to explain the photo i don't really want to explain oh it's, it's the best just, nick it's so is it just his twitter photo or is it yes. facebook too uh that's a good question i i have only seen it on twitter so it pretty much looks like a it's is it him and the cabinet members it's more than his cabinet it's it's him and 13 actually 12 white men and one woman okay so it's that and then it's it's made to look, at least the way that I perceived it, it looks like a promo for The Apprentice. Um, and <laughs> no one's he, smiling. No one's smiling. He never smiles in a picture ever. And he's signing something. Yes. Like mean signing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what that piece of legislation is. <laughs> and um, the fact that everybody went along, he was like, I'm going to sign this. Mm-hmm. Everybody, nobody smile. <laughs> Everybody, everybody looked angry. Yes, it's just it's such a horrible image to put out there, of especially course. now. Like you could not have done it at a worse possible time, too. Yeah, it's just like you said, it's all which whatever we can talk about the merits of of race and whatnot in in these contexts or or not. But um, the fact that you do it with the climate that's going on, especially with public opinion, is. I, I, and and we talk about this so often. 
who the fuck is doing strategy over there? Like, there has to be a comms person or a marketing intern. It was the mooch. Or he got one fired. Of, doesn't Ivanka have kids? Can't, like, they do something? She's in Aspen. Okay. <laughs> well, even if there Tr- is. Trump, Trump has kids, too. <laughs> That's true. Bar- Baron's in charge of that. Right. Yeah. Just take some pictures. Okay. Here, here Real quickly, Trump's kids who've traveled so much that they've burnt all of the Secret Service budget. So (laughs) (laughs) they need somebody to come in and control this. But even if that were the case, to go back to an earlier point Phil made, Trump's going to do what Trump's going to do. Yes, that's true. Yeah, I'm very begrudgingly agreeing with you on that. (laughs) A good PR team could go a long way. It's really remarkable how terrible they are at these photo ops and and the it just yeah it's it's mind-boggling that they should have access to the best in the world and they can't get the basics of these things done right the two things that trump needs are a good pr firm and a good legal team both of which don't want to touch him because he's right. such a bad client maybe some <laughs> right. Xanax. that's right yeah <laughs> oh so we should probably wrap up it should we yes. promote the potential facebook live uh yeah um we will most likely if the equipment as long as the equipment cooperates with all our fancy new equipment um we will be doing a facebook live broadcast next week um we'll determine if it's going to be tuesday or wednesday our normal slot is wednesday and we've been back and forth on that for the past few weeks but we'll put information out on facebook and twitter and anywhere else that you normally reach us um, yeah. Anything else? So you're, you'll anything? be back from Finland, right? In theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we're good. If you're, if you're enjoying the podcast and uh, numbers suggest that we're getting more people uh, to like the podcast. Every so, day. Most successful yeah, episode yet. Which is exciting. And thank you listeners for doing so. If you like us, uh, rate us and review us on iTunes. That goes a long ways. We're yes. a young and developing podcast and uh, support makes a big difference. Yes. Um, yeah, Facebook at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul, um, Barstool Politics at Yahoo.com. If you have beer suggestions or questions you want us to answer uh, or comments or anything like that, uh, you can find our beers that we try on the Untapped app. Um, anything else that I'm missing? No. Phil, how do you say goodbye and finish? Hey, hey. I love it. Really? <laughs> hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, <laughs> hey. All right. Well, um, thanks, guys. We'll we'll do it again next week. Cheers. Cheers.